Mm-hmm. So we can say it was Konglish, like Korean and English. Mm-hmm. But there are always Russian words thrown in there. So <laughs> it was just a mix of all the languages that we can speak. Wow. But of course, when, when things are heightened from the parents, it's going to come out in Korean. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> just absolutely. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome back to Someday is Here. Every week I'm excited to introduce to you amazing Asian American women, and this week is no different. I am so excited for you to hear my conversation today with Grace P. Cho. She is a, she's a writer. She's the editorial manager at Encourage. We'll link all this up in the show notes. But what I really have appreciated about my friendship with Grace and our conversation is just being reminded that the Asian American experience is not a cookie cutter one. And when Grace and I sat down to talk. I just realized that there are so many layers to our ethnic journey. Um, The picture that Grace paints of what it looks like uh, to create space for all of us so that there's not scarcity, that we're stronger when we link our arms together, um, this communal approach to life and leadership. I just, uh, just, it just lifts my eyes. And so I hope that you are encouraged listening to today's conversation. I'm just so thrilled for you to get to know my friend, Grace. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Some Days Here, and I am so excited to introduce to you today's guest, Grace P. Cho. She is a dear friend, and she was actually on my brainstorm list as one of the guests that I wanted to interview way back when this podcast wasn't even, it was just a dream. So it's just so thrilling to have Grace here today. And Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Viv. I can't, I can't believe it's finally here now. It's finally here. Well, I thought it'd be fun to kind of share how we even know each other. Yes, let's do that. I love the story. Yes, go for it. Okay. I I saw Viv speak at at the end of an IF gathering conference. IF is a a huge women's conference that happens in Texas. And at the very end, they invite everyone to do their their action step. What is it? What it is that they're going to take away and do after the conference? And I remember, and I was watching this from Vegas, so this was being um, live streamed uh, from Texas, and I was watching it. Friends from the East Coast were texting me, "Oh my gosh, this lady's talking about you!" I didn't know this was going to be happening, but at the very end, I watched Viv take the stage, um, and she had her domino. That's what we were writing our things on, and it's she said. Um, I want to open the way for Asian American women leaders to come up behind me because she hadn't seen that growing up, hadn't seen people who look like her on conferences or booklets or anything like that. And when I heard that, I thought, I must find her. (laughs) (laughs) I was living in in Vegas, um, doing ministry there. And we were, we had inklings of that we should move back to California. So I um, put my stocking skills to use. Googled Vivian Mabuni and found <laughs> out that she lives it, actually that she lives here in Southern California, and I was about to move back here um, to be with my in-laws. And so I messaged her, emailed her, and asked if we could meet. And she said yes, and that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> oh, it is! It has been a beautiful friendship. And Grace is honestly one of the most gifted writers. I have loved everything that Grace has ever written, but most recently. Grace uh, blessed our Some Days Here live event with mm. honestly the most powerful poem. It was it was a 
it was kind of a spoken word, but it was it was woven in mm. a form that was so astonishing. I mean, jaw dropping. I can't even mm. <laughs> describe words. And I was explaining earlier, you know, before we got on this interview, that you know there were several moments throughout the event where I kind of welled up with tears of mm-hmm. just gratitude and can't believe this is happening in the swimming. But honestly, it was your poem that just took me over and I could not hold back the tears. It was so beautiful. I would Thank love you for you so to much. share a couple things. What was it like writing that poem? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little premise of that, but then even um, after that, I would love for mm-hmm. your thoughts and feedback on the live event and what that meant to you. Great. I love that. Um, as a writer, I've heard from other people when they say, you know, this, this thing, this message wanted to come out a certain way or, or it, I didn't want to write about that, but this is where my words led. Mm. And, um, and I've had very few experiences like that as a writer. I'm a very, very slow writer. Nothing pours out of me. I wish it would be so much faster that way. Um, but it's more a trickling of words Mm. that come out. Um, which makes me more intentional. I, I edit as I write and that's not the way that writers or that's not the way that people say is the best way because you can get caught up in your, in your editing. Um, but this one I spent, I had it in mind. I could hear the cadence as I was trying to think of it. Mm. This is prior to you asking me. Wow. Um, And, but as I sat down to actually write out the words, they just wouldn't come out as an essay form. And that was so strange to me. They started to fall flat. The words started to fall flat. And I realized, wait, this is, um, it's not working the way that I thought. Mm. And how can I, how can I, in some ways, um, surrender or yield to mm-hmm. the way that these words want to come out? <clears throat> so I had, I had to go back and remember why I wrote, wanted to write about I wrote about chuk, which is the Korean word for rice porridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had done um, uh, an Instagram post about it a while ago. And that's when I found out it, it was actually a year ago that I ate it and was so deeply impacted um, by that dish. And when I, read my, when I read the caption, that's when I realized it actually came out more like poetry. <clears throat> mm. There's a cadence to it. There's, a, um, there's almost a lack of words versus mm-hmm. an overflow of words. Mm. Um, and from there, when I started to write it out, it really did start to come out uh, mm. more freely. And I'm not, like I said, I, I, I'm not someone where the words flow out, but for this one, I felt like the words were just coming as I was remembering the experience, as I was connecting it to my own past. And um, the poem is called Love in Her Hands. And so connecting it to my mother's hands, my grandmother's mm. hands, and and just the idea of, um, I was never proud of my hands um, mm. because they look like a child's hand, <laughs> um, even though I'm a grown up. And yet, seeing my own hands be a reflection of my mother's hands, my grandmother's hands, um, and mm. how much love is poured down into us through the food that they've made. Mm. Um, and so that that came about like that. Uh, wow. It felt it felt very magical and unlike most writing experiences that I've had. Mm. Um, and then I got to pre. And then you asked me, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and so it, it kind of came together as I, this. This thing was in the back of my head. You asked me, and it brought it forth, and you gave me the platform mm-hmm. um, to s- truly speak it into life. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I had written that way. First time I had performed something um, as a spoken word. And so, thank you. That oh my it, it felt like a coming together of so mm-hmm. many things. Not only your story and my story, but mm-hmm. of my journey as a writer and. What does it look like for me to explore mm-hmm. um, different ways to write and use my words? So, yeah. oh, well, it was incredible, and <laughs> I loved. I turned your your husband and your two kids were in the row right behind me, Aww. and so I'm t- tears pouring out of my eyes, and I t- whip around to them, and I just thumbs all the thumbs. <laughs> your mom is so awesome. <laughs> it was just like it was so incredible to have them witness it too. And yes, I just it's love that so they were a part of it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I actually made some chuk yesterday because there was a longing after mm. I uh, did the spoken word. There was a longing inside myself to 
to feel again what it feels like and to be connected again. Mm. Um, and so I made Chuk and my daughter um, didn't like it before. Mm-hmm. But after the spoken word, after she saw me perform, she was like, you know, actually I did like it. <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't know where it came from, but it was, it was, um, I don't know if it was the combination of she heard my story, mm. she saw me perform, and now she's mm. like, oh, this is meaningful to you. Mom. Mm. Um, and now I'm going to, you know, feed myself with yes. your love, with the chook. And even oh. that was a very full circle moment yesterday as she was eating oh. it and recognizing it and then appreciating as a mother that mm. she would eat and enjoy something I've made that she didn't like. Oh. And, and of course, she's such a mini you. Like it's <laughs> mini Grace. Like whenever I see her photo, I'm like, that's what Grace looked like when she was five. You know? She's all me on the outside, but yes. personality-wise, she's totally my husband. It's funny. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how it works sometimes, right? I <laughs> so I love it. Well, that was so beautiful. But I would love to hear your from your perspective, what were some of your thoughts or your feedback from the live event? Um, you know, I keep I kept telling people it felt sacred. I, I have said one, it felt sacred and two, that it felt like it's just the beginning. Mm. Um, because even though I grew up in a predominantly Korean American uh, space, whether that's at church or growing up as, as a missionary's kid, even though we grew up in Kazakhstan, uh, a huge percentage of our church were actually Korean Kazakhs mm. uh, who, who were part of the diaspora uh, years ago. And so I grew up with Korean Americans. I was in predominantly Korean American spaces or Asian American because I, after being on the mission field, I came back and um, finished high school in Irvine. Mm. Um, and that, for those of you who don't live here in Southern California, it's a very Asian um, place, mm. uh, Asian dominated place, and maybe more so even now. So I didn't. I don't think I valued that. One, I didn't even value my own Koreanness, but I mm-hmm. didn't value Asian Americanness. Um, mm-hmm. I was more ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. And so to be in a space that was made for us and by us. Um, and I heard from an attendee, it was just so great to see not only one woman on the stage, but a group of women mm-hmm. who are all Asian American leading us. Mm. Um, and yes, you know, we didn't have all the, we didn't have, you know, every representation of every Asian American, but still, but still to see the collaborative spirit of that, to see the communal work and the linking of arms and knowing, Mm. um, we're here for you. You know, this Mm -hmm. idea of, uh, we are going before you Mm -hmm. and we want to link arms with you. All, All of that, all of that, um, like we're, we're deeply connected no matter what feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really sacred to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of attendees and for the girls that, the girls that I mentor who came mm-hmm. for them to even see for themselves, like, wow, I was, I was fed in a way I didn't know I was hungry for. Wow. Mm. And that was it's, it sparked something else in me. I think a deeper longing for how can we do this more and how can we do this um, and reach more like in a more vast way. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love it. I agree. I think it's just the beginning. Yes. And I think how you described it, wanting to be fed in a way that we didn't even know that we needed. Yeah. But there's an exhale that takes place in that kind of space, which is, I think, again, why I think these interviews for the podcast are kind of meeting women. I, I get feedback all the time. Like there's just something about feeling validated yeah. and having language and relating to someone else's story. So I love your story because it is very unique and different. You've grown up in different places. So take us back, 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 Grace, and walk yes. us through your ethnic journey and your, yeah, your growing up journey and your Korean American journey, Korean Costa, yeah, Costa, everything. Know, just I tell know. us everything. I mean, just just go, Grace. <laughs> um, so I was born here in LA, but my parents, I think my dad always wanted to go overseas as a missionary. And we had originally been set to go to Kenya. But in wow. 91, when I was in at the beginning of fourth grade, end of third grade, beginning of fourth grade, um, the USSR fell down. 
Mm. And so doors open up for missionaries to go in. And so Kazakhstan, I, we had some sort of connection. Our church had a connection there. And so they rerouted our, um, our destination mm. so that we would go there. And there, my, it was, my, my dad had gone on ahead of us and my mom, there's four of us. She took her mother-in-law, my grandma, um, her four kids ranging from 11 to four months. My brother was only four months at the time. And what, and we, what number are you in the I'm lineup? I'm two of four. Two of four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, two or four. So we maybe my sister was twelve. Um, she probably was twelve actually. And so she, I, I, I remember one of the strong memories I have of of us moving is standing at the airport line, and we had all these in Korean. They're called iminkabangs, or literal translation like immigration bags, <laughs> just like tall cloth. Like uh, they don't have that shape. Plastic. Like, is it like the woven plastic that's yes. red, white, and blue? Oh no, 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 not that, not that, not that. But it's like a, it's it's basically like a bag. But if you unzip it, it gets taller. Yes, it's not hard yes. plastic. It's not you know. yes. Um, <clears throat> so we had, I think, like ten to twelve of those mm. bags. With, I mean, we didn't know. My mom didn't know what was going to be there for us when we got there. And I just remember standing behind all of those bags and my mom in the front, and they basically just let us come through because they realize they can't check all those bags. And um, here she is a mom by herself with her mother-in-law and all these kids. And so that, that was one of my stronger memories of moving Mm. at that time was um, my poor mother. Um, She had to go through so much. And I only recognized this when I was older and a mom myself Mm. of how much she really did go through in order for us to be a missionary's family um, and for her to be a pastor's wife, a missionary's wife. So Mm. I grew up there from nine to 16. Um, I was homeschooled during that time, video homeschooled, which meant that I literally popped in a VHS (laughs) (laughs) into the VCR. And, and I watched uh, a class that was taped at a Christian school. And that's how I grew up. Um, I came back my junior year of high school because my parents wanted me to experience American education, whatever that meant. But I don't think they were aware, you know, that junior year is a year you take SATs. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, even though my sister went before me, I don't think they fully understood the impact of that and how hard that would be. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I ended up coming to, at the time, maybe the most academic school in Irvine mm-hmm. High School. Mm. And that was very tough. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to say I was depressed at the time, but I probably was. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It was a very hard, hard transition, even though I wanted to a move and I wanted to be uh, here. I lived with my sister and her roommates and she was only a college student at the time. So oh wow! in hindsight, looking back, that must have been such a burden for her mm. um, and a burden for both of us because I don't think we knew how to be. Uh, sisters, but she's also my guardian and um, right. those things and all that responsibility fell on her. Um, so I'm very grateful um, while acknowledging it was very hard. <laughs> so your parents stayed back in Kazakhstan? They did with my younger two siblings. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So did you learn Russian or Kazakh speak? Did you speak that at while you were growing we, up there those years? We grew up speaking Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with the kids, our neighborhood kids, or um, everyone there, if you're in the city, you live in apartment, uh, Mm -hmm, tall mm -hmm. apartment buildings. And yeah, we would just speak Russian to the kids. So we took lessons to Mm -hmm. learn Russian more formally. Uh, But most of it, you just learn on the street, playing (laughs) playing outside, you know? So I think by the time that I left, Mm -hmm. people couldn't tell whether I was a local. Mm. That was like, that was the best thing to get mm. into. We would hail taxis by ourselves. Wow. And I would go to my piano lesson by myself. By yourself. This is pre Uber days. So you would just hail right. down anyone. This isn't a taxi. Yeah. It could be a personal car. Um, <laughs> and then they would ask me for my name and I would just make up a story. I would say like, Oh, my name is Olya, which is a very common <laughs> Russian name. Russian. And I would love that to be known or to be mistaken as a local. As a local. Yeah, yeah. And recognizing like that meant that I had some sort of level of mastery in the language. Yes. Did you um, ever, do you remember dreaming in Russian at all at that point? Or 
No, no. I think all my dreams have been in English. So now at home, did you speak Korean or English to your siblings and then Korean to your parents? How did that work language-wise? I think it was a combination of all three. Mm. So we can say it was Konglish, like Korean and English. Mm -hmm. But there are always Russian words thrown in there. So (laughs) it was just a mix of all the languages that we can speak. But of course, when when things are heightened from the parents, it's going to come out in Korean. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And that happened to me recently where I got mad and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so mad. It's coming out in Korean. In Korean. Oh gosh. It's that part of our our old brain that just gets locked into all of that. That's That's hilarious. Wow. This week's Did You Know is on clay walls and the Korean-American experience. Did you know Gloria Hahn published a book in the 80s about the Korean-American experience in Los Angeles? Under her pen name, Kim Ron-young, Hahn wrote Clay Walls which explores the complexities of growing up in Koreatown, Los Angeles, with immigrant parents who had fled Japanese-occupied Korea. She explores the complexities and the tension of growing up second generation and having both strong Eastern and Western influences, and how these two at times clash. Her book also powerfully displays the overarching yet intimate ways in which the violence caused by Japanese colonialism, imperialism, and expansionism affect not only a large group of people, in this case Korean-American communities and families, but also the psyche of generations to come. Scholars also suggest that through her exploration of reconciliation and restoration amidst the family, these themes are also inherently intertwined and reflective of history. Clay Walls was the first published book to speak into the Korean-American experience and was also nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And that's this week's Did You Know? So really, that there's a transitional time for you, transitioning from teenage to adulthood, where you really were on your own. Like, did you have people to, like, process the re-entry and... The culture mm. shock and the reverse culture shock. I mean, how wh- how was so that for things, you? Right. No one guided me through that. Mm. Um, and because I grew up in a home uh, that wasn't always safe, uh, mm-hmm. it I always turned to friends. Mm. I, I made my friends my family. Mm-hmm. So coming back to the states, I think that was just already my my way of living life is Mm -hmm. I'm going to create community. And that's been a strong, um, probably out of a hard place. It became my strength Mm -hmm. is to make community where I go, wherever I go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I plugged right it back into our home church that my parents were sent from. Mm -hmm. I got onto the, you know, leadership like that. That was just my way of getting in Mm -hmm. and creating family and having friends. And um, so no one guided me. And I think it took probably therapy or, helping mm-hmm. others transition back in to um, for me to recognize all the things I did go through. I'm, I think I'm still unraveling some mm-hmm. of those ways that I grew up and um, the way that I moved here and the way mm-hmm. our family, the dysfunctions of our family and mm-hmm. recognizing that and acknowledging that and how that's affected the way I think and how I mm-hmm. am. But no one did it for me at the time. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think people were aware of what to do with MKs. I think there are more mm-hmm. more things available um, as the years have gone by. Yeah. That was back in 98 that I came back. Mm-hmm. Um, good God, that we're, I'm like, 98, that's, that's so long ago. <laughs> that, was a different, that was a different time. <sighs> no, that's different true. Time. It is interesting because I think like MK, missionary kids or third culture kids, yes. T- TCKs, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more um, material out now, but it really Mm -hmm. is um, kind of an additional lostness a Mm -hmm. little bit or Mm -hmm. feeling misplaced, like where really am I really home? And so um, I think that 
Asian Americans can identify with being third culture mm-hmm. kids. There's so many similarities mm-hmm. of looking different, people right. assuming that we are not American, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so the the natural like, where are you from kind of questions right? Yeah. for, you know, someone who's like a fifth generation, you know, great, great, great grandparents built the railroad, but they still mm-hmm. get those questions, that mm-hmm. othering. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with you growing up, whether it was in Kazakhstan or here in Southern California or anywhere, are there points of pain in your journey as far as your identity as an Asian American woman? Oh, there are, there are many, and then they seem so similar to everyone else at the Mm. same time, you know, Mm -hmm. um, before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, it could be the lunch thing, like getting made fun of your lunch. That's happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, or like wanting, wanting to not be so othered. I think mm-hmm. that's a common uh, story. I, I think for me, the the longing for home, like you mentioned, for TCQs mm-hmm. and MKs, I never knew what that would feel like. Mm-hmm. And so I had almost made it, I, I did, I think, make it my identity that I just didn't belong. Mm-hmm. So when I came back to the States... Overseas, I think I felt like uh, growing up, I think I felt like um, the top dog. That's like really the only way I can describe mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I had access to American, quote unquote, American things or mm. American equaling cool, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. As a kid growing up there. And so when I came back to the States, I realized I just don't belong anywhere. And this was at a school mm-hmm. that had a lot of Asian Americans um, Mm -hmm. and a range of Asian Americans, but I couldn't place myself in any one of those. Um, So it was not necessarily, I don't fit in a predominantly white space. It was that, oh my gosh, there are, there are so many Asians. I don't even fit in any one of those. Mm. Um, I don't even fit with Korean Americans Mm. who are second, who, who have quote the same like labels on paper as me, but I didn't feel like I fit into that group. And I, I could, I think that was probably the start of my dislike or hatred for Koreans, uh, mm. Korean, my Koreanness, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this dislike of my culture or of the embracing of our culture. So mm. if people would speak Korean, to me, it was like, you're othering people who don't speak that. Mm. And so I, I used our own, my own culture as a way to condemn people who embraced it. Hmm. Um, so I didn't watch Korean dramas. I refused to listen to Korean pop. Like I didn't like that look. I just thought, um, and now I can say I really wanted to be white is what Hmm. it was. Um, Hmm. and I thought, um, like those Asian Americans who made it were the ones who had white friends and who were on, you know, ASB with all their white friends and all, Mm. all those, all those markers that I thought were like, wow, they have truly assimilated. Mm. And that felt like the goal for hmm. us is we just got to be like them, act like them, and maybe we'll be seen like them. Mm. Um, and so that was that was a journey to go from yeah. hating my Koreanness and really uh, rejecting my Koreanness to now be in a place where I'm acknowledging and embracing and being proud mm. uh, to be happy to have been made in this which have been created. Yeah. That's who I am. What were some of the elements that took place in your life to bring you to that point? Like what are, if you look back over your life, what were some of the threads that got woven into your story to bring you to a place of really embracing and celebrating? Where I am now in my ethnic Mm -hmm. journey. Yeah. Yeah. In your ethnic journey. Let's see. Um, Two. Okay. Three major ones. One was the Black Lives Matter movement that started mm. um, okay. not with not started with the shootings, but that was because uh, the shootings were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were more publicized at the time. And so that was when my my older sister, who's married to a black man, she was pregnant with their son, their first mm. son. And especially when Ferguson happened, um, mm-hmm. that I, I don't think he was born. I think she was pregnant. And I thought one day my nephew will grow up and will be seen mm. as just a black teen. Yeah. And, and how 
personal that became. Mm. Um, and I lamented and repented of the fact that it wasn't personal. It should have been personal. Mm. I should have already seen the Black community in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But even recognizing that my ra- my own um, racism um, mm-hmm. and prejudice against the Black community and having grown up with that, um, having grown up generationally with mm. that idea that we got to be better, um, mm-hmm. that model myth, uh, the model minority myth, mm-hmm. which is like we can step on their backs in order for us to rise up and mm. And recognizing all of that and all of that coming to a very, um, to the very front of my vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started, so I thought, of course they have worth. How have I not, how have I not recognized that and how has it not mm-hmm. been personal to me? Mm-hmm. So that led to the idea of, wait, I've always seen myself as less than, less American than mm. them because I've seen Americans as white or black. Yeah. Um, but if you're Asian or if you're um, a Latina, then it, like it, we're automatically discounted. We're immigrants. Mm. Um, and even so recognizing, of course, they have worth. Oh, my goodness. I've seen myself as even less than in some ways mm. because I'll be the perpetual foreigner. Right. Right. Um, and then to see like, wow, I, I have worth, too. Mm. as an Asian American, as a Korean American. So that was one, one thing, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I, and I feel like um, those of you who have heard Susie Gomez, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if she's been on the podcast yet, but. Yeah, she will be she, by the time your interview oh, comes. Oh, awesome, so, awesome. So um, many fabulous, incredible <laughs> women. Okay, so go Susie, yes. Susie, at the mm-hmm. Someday Is Here live event, she wanted to recognize and acknowledge that Black women have gone before us mm. and the Black community has gone before us. And so That's we right. as Asian Americans can um, be doing what we're doing or even taking up space like this because they've gone before us and done that work. Um, and that really was my story is because of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, wow. Another thing was my writer friend, Shannon Martin. She mm-hmm. adopt, adopted two Korean kids mm-hmm. and I forget why, but I had sent her a care package once to her kids um, with like Korean snacks and all this stuff. And mm. um, in return, the oldest, Calvin, mm-hmm. had written me a thank you card and he signed it, his Korean name. And it just broke me because, wow. because he had, he so is, he's so proud of his Korean heritage, mm. um, even though he may not have as much access Mm-hmm. as me. And here I was ashamed of my Korean heritage mm. and having so much access. And wow. that really, uh, I, I always um, bring him up in my story because that mm. shifted something in me mm. um, that I didn't, I wasn't expecting when I got that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He didn't even write Calvin. He just wrote Namu Lee, wow. uh, his Korean name. And that, yeah, that, that was, mm. I can't even describe. I feel I feel forever connected mm-hmm. uh, to him, and um, because of the story of him owning his name, and then me mm-hmm. having always been ashamed, even of my name, mm-hmm. to say like, "Oh wow, there is." We hold things in our name. We carry things yeah. in our name, and he's carrying it um, even without as much access as I I have. So that was the second part, and then going to Korea. Uh, maybe two years ago, three years ago now mm. with my family and reconnecting in many ways. It was, it was in many ways, it was a home going mm-hmm. to hear and listen and know Korea for herself without the filter of my parents or without mm. the obligation of seeing all the relatives and having that be the highlight of the trip. But yeah. I went with my family, with my two kids and my husband. And um, that was the last time I saw my grandma who had passed away. Mm. Um, two years ago now and and the, just all the connections of reconnecting with my heritage where where do I really come from what is, right. is this history and stories of Korean people and mm-hmm. uh, um, all that felt really uh, not maybe a full circle moment but of of a I found a home that I didn't think I would find home like mm. in a place I didn't think I would find home you know mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. Yeah, kind because of like even there, 
Yes. And, and having, I've been to Korea before, but mm-hmm. when we were there, we were looked down on because we didn't speak Korean well. Mm. So it was, it was a both of, um, we can never belong anywhere because mm-hmm. we've been quote unquote displaced as Korean Americans. Mm. Um, but going back as an adult now and saying, no, I'm going to claim my space here because mm. this is also my motherland. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also my mother. And th- this idea of like, who is my mother? Um, mm. and, and saying, Korea, you are my mother in many ways. Mm. Uh, I, I gain things. I've gained things down the line in my blood mm. through you. Um, and now I'm, Generations. I'm it's mine. Yeah. 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 That is so beautiful, Grace. I think I've so many times I've heard feedback that, you know, as mentioned earlier, that when people hear other people's stories, there's mm-hmm. the shifting and the, the turning that takes place. Yes. And I think all of us are on a journey in our ethnic journey. And even my white sure. brothers and sisters, as they actually take the time to figure out that they're German or they're Swedish or they're Italian or they're like white is not a race. It's a social construct. Um, Whereas they are actually Scandinavian and, you know, there's certain French attributes that are different than Croatian or however we decide that. So I think that, that, that centering and, you know, as our kids who are mixed race grow up and start to learn and gather more um, knowledge and experience like mm-hmm. it, like in embedded into the culture. I think that there mm-hmm. is a centering that takes place. It's knowing our history. I think mm-hmm. knowing like I, my kids being a quarter native Hawaiian, that when mm-hmm. they go back mm-hmm. to Hawaii, not as a tourist, but mm-hmm. you know, as part mm-hmm. of the land and the, yeah. their appreciation for the language and the names right. and, the yeah. history and the culture they're watching from a, a different, they're not tourists. They're really right. connecting back to right. part of who they are. And so right. that's exactly. Hmm. There, there's something about the piecing together of who you are that like I rejected those pieces. Hmm. I rejected it and also felt like, um, ugh, like I can't get rid of my face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted to reject everything about being Korean, but I couldn't get rid of my face. So there was nothing I could do about that. And then having that experience of going back to Korea and saying, I'm claiming not just my heritage, but even my face mm. and saying it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, um, saying that this is beautiful mm. and that it doesn't yes. need to be changed, which goes against actually the current Korean culture, which is getting a lot of plastic surgery right. to change your face to look more Western. Mm. Um so even that felt like, yeah, I'm saying all of it is mm. beautiful, even the way that I look. Yeah. That is so great. Well, that definitely kind of blends right into the what we're proud of, you know, as mm. far as that. Is, are there certain aspects of being Korean American that you are proud of? <sighs> Let's see. What? Obviously food. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> now that Korean <laughs> culture has... Uh, Right, right now, there are so many people watching Korean dramas, listening mm-hmm. to K-pop, um, which has then also elevated Korean food. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- I think it was already on its way, but it just became extra because mm-hmm. of that. Um, I was watching, I don't know if you know Chef David Chang. I've heard of him. Okay. Yes. Uh, he has a show on Netflix called Ugly Delicious. And, this, mm. and season two just came out um, and I was watching that first episode. There were so many tears. <laughs> oh. I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't really? think it would go that way. Yeah. Um, but I think there was a, I saw, I saw in that episode a reflection of my own journey of mm. embracing who I am and what it mm-hmm. means to be Korean all the way down to like, what does it look like when a Korean woman has a baby? Mm. and like what foods are given to her mm-hmm. what ways do the mothers come alongside like mm. all of that it was just I was oh. like I that's what I want to um I want to hold on to because I mm. I had some of that and I didn't have mm-hmm. um, parts of that but to say like oh I wish that for my children my daughter mm-hmm. um, the young women around me who are having kids but maybe their moms have passed away and how yes. can we still pass down 
um, our, our traditions. Mm. I was so anti-traditional and now I've, I live the most traditional life it's really funny <laughs> and ironic, but to, to, to watch that and say like, wow, this is a thing to be proud of mm. some of our traditions and the way that we care for each other communally. Yes. Um, another thing was I, I was on, you know, how Facebook has those like on this day, three years ago. Yes. Yes. And this on this day or week or whenever we were actually in Korea, that trip that I just talked about. Yes. I remember tracking right with you. Yes. I remember that. And one of the things, the, the one that came up today was about how um, there was this king, he's called the great King Sejong. And I think that's how you say it. Um, and how he was someone who fought for justice mm. and how he saw the marginalized women um, and brought, he created the Korean alphabet. So all these oh, things wow. that I thought, wow, the, the, the way that my heart beats now for, for justice or for the ways that I've always had eyes for those on the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see that reflected in someone that is lifted up that there's a huge statue of, there's a museum. Mm. I, I, I didn't think that that was part of our culture. I had mm-hmm. seen um, Koreans on the news protesting yeah. and I had always just labeled it. We're so dramatic. It's so, mm. it's, it's, you know, it's embarrassing. We're so dramatic. Um, now I see it with, wait, no, we were fighting or these people, or there's a natural fire within Koreans to say like, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to like go on the streets to protest, to have like weekly protests to, um, and, and the idea of Han, um, Mm -hmm. this, 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 um, wrestling of making things right again. And mm-hmm. holding gen- that it's passed down generationally of of wanting to make things right, um, mm. whether that's justice or whether that's the struggle and mm. carrying that. Um, so they say like we all carry Han with us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that Han needs to be released somehow. So mm. now I'm like, oh, that's why we protest. That's why. Yes. Um, my friend Christine was telling me how her mom told her that she releases Han through early dawn prayer um, Mm. and crying out to God in the early morning hours. And, and that all became all the things that I thought like, Oh, that's annoying. Or, Oh, that's, Mm -hmm. why do we do things like that? Not understanding. Now I see, wow, that's beautiful. Wow. Mm. That's, uh, that's the pounding of the chest and the lamenting Mm -hmm. Mm. that was erased in our Mm. generation of Mm. whether that's second or third or fourth, uh, where we don't have as much of that, um, the lamenting and the pounding, mm. but we can claim that again and say, uh, yes, we are aching for yeah. things to be made right. Um, That's not so just good. for Korean people, but for anyone who's marginalized mm-hmm. or oppressed. And we share that in some ways it feels like a heartbeat or mm. a crying out, um, the, the beat of that, yeah. uh, that we can walk together with others who have been oppressed mm. because we also had that um, history of being oppressed That's right. and still coming out this very small country still coming out, um, and holding itself and really becoming a superpower mm. um, later on. Yeah. There's so many layers to that. I mean, so many, just, I, I mean, know. like life lessons as, and, and this demonstration of, I think the value system in, right you know, the Eastern value system of Mm -hmm. it's really, it's always bigger than us, our own individual lives. That there's, there are the countless that have gone before and there's Mm -hmm. the, the, the desire to continue to pass on. And Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. just love it. Okay. So Julie and I finished crash landing on you. Oh Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We, we just, now we don't know what to do with our lives. Like just. You watch the next one, which I'll tell you, you should watch chocolate. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's I'm writing it down right now because we are so lost. We could not even like we were crying, we were laughing, we were just so oh my goodness. And then we were like, we almost didn't want to watch the last one, the 16th episode, because we're like, we can't have this end because they're so woven into our lives now. So <laughs> anyway, so okay, thank you. We'll we'll go move on to chocolate yes, now. But oh, yes. we just Crash hold it Landing so dear is a Korean hearts. drama that's on Netflix and yes. it just 
took the world by storm. It did. Um, and it, and it well, just so well done and all. Okay. So <laughs> we have, we're kind of like, I, I'm going to take us back to, okay. One question, Grace, what are some of your favorite comfort foods? Um, comfort foods. Yes. The first thing that always pops into my mind is kalbi, which is the Korean marinated. Um, uh, it's often barbecued meat. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's not barbecue, but it is barbecue. <laughs> oh, it's so, <laughs> it's so good. Um, but I think my my recent comfort food is actually chuk, chuk. and making it myself. Yes, uh, recognizing the the beauty of making it. It takes mm-hmm. hours, first of all. It's mm-hmm. a very simple dish. It's rice porridge. So one would think you just like boil it to death and then you get right. porridge, you know. But in order for it to actually taste the way that I had tasted it, um, mm-hmm. you know, about a year ago, uh, it takes a lot of hands. And mm-hmm. that's what I write about uh, because you have to you have to do each part of the dish individually when mm-hmm. you can't just food process all the veggies you have mm. to chop it by hand you got to mm. break the bean sprouts i didn't know this but if you there are some veggies where if you cut it with a knife mm-hmm. um it browns right away yeah like basil oh okay okay who knew yeah i didn't okay. i didn't know this um because yeah. i thought like that is a lot of work you should yeah. just take a bunch you know chop off the and beans cut, chop off the right. roots you know um, but yeah, th- my, my husband who used to be a chef, he was saying there's something about the way that that plant's, uh, stem is. So mm. if you break it, it oxidizes or something like that. Wow. The science behind it. <laughs> but all that to say, you can't cut it with a knife. You have to cut mm. it by hand, um, and break it by hand. Um, and so doing that, even as I was doing it the other day, I was like, my God, this is taking forever. <laughs> and there's very little, there's very little <laughs> reward <laughs> yeah, to show for my work. And mm. then when I put it all together and I, I thought this was the best batch I've ever made um, mm. thus far and recognizing it, it wasn't a comfort food before because I'd mm-hmm. only had it um, when I was sick as a kid, but now it's become something, oh, if it's a cold day, like this whole week, it's supposed to rain. And I thought like, this is a perfect dish to have that's filling, Mm -hmm. that's savory. Yeah. It doesn't require much Mm. Um, when you sit down to eat it, just as a bowl and a spoon and that's all you really need. Um, So that became a comfort food that I didn't expect would become one. Mm. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. Well, I need to come over basically this week and, and sample some if you make some. We'll just text each other. This is <laughs> this is the beauty of living in Southern California. So I it's a so kind glad. of ridiculous that we are doing this over Zoom right now because we could be in person, but then would we actually get to the interview is the question. So anyway, okay, back to the interview, Grace. <laughs> um, you have served in many different capacities. You have led in very different various capacities throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you are currently an editor for a very large, influential online Encourage um, mm-hmm. website, blogging, writers, and all of that stuff. But do you have um, a few leadership lessons or principles that you could share with our listeners that kind of guide you as you travel life? Right. My friends and I, Christine and Chantal, Oh, I love executive all, producer on this yes. podcast. The three musketeers. I yes. Call them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christine had an event uh, last year and she invited us to come along with her mm. um, and asked if we could do a panel together. And someone approached me afterwards and said, It was so good to see you guys um, each take up space, one, mm. but then. Two, just to see how we support and lead together. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's, uh, you know, picking up, like we were sitting at a table, she noticed I picked up or someone picked up uh, a napkin that we had dropped or, or something like that. So even things like that, that we are, we can see beyond, uh, beyond us just leading mm. to say that we're leading and serving and doing all of that. And it's all mixed together. Mm. Um, and coming back to this idea of what does it look like? We, we talk about, I think in leadership in any, whether it's in church or business, we talk about team leadership, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I've seen it very well done mm. in, um, in my leading years, 
but I'm trying to see what does it look like when one women come together to lead mm-hmm. also when, uh, when we, when we fully bring ourselves as Asian American women and say that we don't need to be tokens in yes. the setting, mm-hmm. we can link arms and be communal. And we're actually stronger that way. Um, instead of feeling like, uh, there's a scarcity in the air. Like yeah. we, there's only one space for an Asian American woman. So I have to be that person or you have to be mm-hmm. that person and there's mm-hmm. no space for that. But to say, no, we can go against yeah. that system that was created uh, by whiteness and to say, mm-hmm. no, there's actually space for all of us mm-hmm. and we can fully show up as all of us and as we are holy yeah. and there's no scarcity. Um, yeah. Or we don't have to fall into the idea that it is scarce or the reality that some systems are made and there is a scarcity there. But mm-hmm. to how do we even um, protest that and yeah. say, yeah. we don't have to live that way. We can actually mm-hmm. lead communally. We can actually link arms and show up fully. And we, just because we're, we've made it in some way or we've led you know, for so many years or whatever, mm-hmm. that it doesn't mean we can't go and clean <laughs> clean up the bathrooms or, you know, sure. Uh, you know, serving or, or even at the some days here, seeing your friends, you know, curl your hair or do your makeup or, mm-hmm. um, and you do, I, I think the way that you mother us and had created an environment where it's not like you're the goddess of this <laughs> and we must serve you, you know, cause mm. sometimes I feel like that, that happens in, mm. um, in groups where someone is a celebrity. Mm. and even in Christian circles, but outside of that too, like someone mm-hmm. is the expert or the, or the professional or the, um, mm. you know, again, the celebrity, and mm. then everyone has to cater to that person. Mm. But to say like, no, our power actually comes when we all do the work of leading. Yes. yes. to show up and take space in our spaces, but then to also say like, it's not beyond us or it's not below us to also serve. That's right. My, my friend, my sister, whoever, mm. um, the woman next to me that's leading and to say, to cheer each other on all of that, cheer, celebrate, serve yes. and lead yes. at the same time. And I, I'm wishing for more of that for the next mm. generation mm-hmm. to be able to see, yeah, we don't have to fall into this, um, into the system that there's scarcity in the air right? Um, and that we have to be tokens in order for us to have worth. Mm-hmm. We can, we already have worth. Yes. Because of who we are and how we were made. And yes. we can do that together. And it's, yeah. we don't have to be afraid of that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm like nodding furiously. <laughs> my, my earrings are dangling because, and they're, they're just, they're <laughs> nodding with me. So I 100% agree with what you are describing. And I, I think having tasted that type of leadership, mm-hmm. it's just so rich and it actually lessens the load to let everyone shine and everyone yes. take a piece of it. And then yeah. together, it's almost like a barn raising. I feel like everyone mm-hmm. just brings their stuff and yeah. and it all it comes together so much better than if it were, were done individualistically. So yeah. yeah, I feel like better than a barn raising analogy, the idea of a potluck which is how mm-hmm. uh, Chantel described the Some Days Here live event to me mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. we're all going to bring our best things. Yeah, we're show yeah. up and we're going to feed each other, you know? Yes. And that's how it felt was, isn't there something sacred and beautiful mm. and empowering mm. to say like, we don't even all have to match yeah. in our offerings. Yeah. But we offer what's best and we come in together to feed the masses. Um, that's so beautiful. And that's the kind of leadership I want to embrace and recognizing I probably still need to fight scarcity in myself and in Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. Um, But to say uh, we can still do this together and um, we can all take turns. We Mm -hmm. can show up, you know. That's so good. I feel like as Asians, we won't have as difficult time doing that because we kind of already think about we always leave one shrimp on the platter or one piece of <laughs> pizza left in the pizza box because someone else might want it. Like we're right, we're right. aware of others, and yeah. so we're always looking and scanning and trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to how to do that. Mm-hmm. But I still, yeah, I agree though. Our flesh can be ones to want to try to 
grab the moment instead of yeah. spread it and out. So it requires some courage, I think. It to does. It does. Open our I, hands. I also say, think a lot of because of our culture, we're passive aggressive. Sure. Because we're, yes. we're, you know, there, yes. there is that, there is that like communal honoring of one another. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take that. You can take that. Um, but there's also, I think the uh, underbelly of that is that we're passive aggressive. And so yeah. we might be feeling the scarcity, but we're not calling it out or right. Right. Uh, we might, oh, true story. Be, and, yes. and that's recognizing in myself, like there mm. was a, a time in my life where I thought um, being token was even in that being token was better than just blending in with everybody else. Mm. And so um, not not being able to say like, hey, I see you, Asian yeah. American friend <laughs> at yeah. a conference full of white people. Yeah. Like instead of doing that, I, I could tell we're both um, pretending each other's not there. Mm. Even though we we probably saw each other the second we walked into that yeah, room. We but do. We're, we... we're pretending like, okay, no, you do you and I do me. And mm. we're going to be token in our respective circles. But we don't need to acknowledge even mm. that we have a sisterhood here. Mm. Um, and so I, I think I, because that was part of my journey to come to mm-hmm. where I'm at, I recognize that that's probably part of a lot of people's journeys if they've mm-hmm. been um, tokenized or if they've mm. uh, embraced that as their, their identity, then um, it's going to take, is it will take a lot of intention and effort and letting go mm. of our token Mm-hmm. Um, the feeling of being uh, of tokenism, yeah. In order to say, let's do this. Let's lead communally. Mm. Um, let's lift each other up and also make space for each other. That's so it's nice. all the best of both of those things, right? Like yeah. leaving yeah. the one thing on the plate and saying, like, no, we can. I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to take up space too. <laughs> That's right, That's and we so can all good. do that. Yeah. And not be afraid. Well, of course, I could talk with you for hours and days and weeks and months, but we must come to a close. Uh, But I would love for you to share how can people connect with you, Grace? The best way is to find me on social media at Mm -hmm. Grace Vitro on all platforms. And um, I rarely write on my website, which is gracepetro.com, but I mostly write at Encourage. Um, mm-hmm. the website is encourage.me, but, um, that's where most of my writing lives, but it's, I'm, you must all, everyone who's listening right now, we'll link this. We'll try to link this. Mm-hmm. I have to write this down. Link, fallow ground. That was oh, yes. one of the most, it's such a rich piece. So the thing that I love about your writing, Grace, is that your words are very purposeful. You don't mm. waste your words. You don't mm. add unnecessary fluff. So every mm. word matters. And so what you write is packed with substance mm. and depth and mm. nuance. It's just beautiful. So yeah, Thank we'll you. need to we'll need to link that fallow ground article too. Because yes. that was yes. that was outstanding. So but we will link all of your connections on the socials as well. So everyone go find Grace, mm-hmm. follow her, listen <laughs> to her and friend her and all of that. So (laughs) I am so thankful, Grace, for you and for this conversation. Thanks for sharing your life and your, your lessons and who you are. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Grace. Isn't she such an amazing thinker and communicator? I wish that you could have been at the live event to hear her um, share her poem about Jook. It was incredible. And I can, I, I'm sure having heard this conversation, you can get a sense of uh, Grace's mastery over language and describing important and deep concepts. Um, my encouragement to all of you is definitely follow Grace, find her, Grace P. Cho on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and follow her work. And Take time this week to notice if you are functioning out of a scarcity mentality or that of abundance. And I, I really think that we are better together. And as Grace talked about in our, in our interview, we are stronger when we link arms. So seek out ways this week to think about abundance rather than scarcity. And we will see you, or I guess you won't see you, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Sundays here 
and look forward to having you back. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.